A person of influence faces his foes. And we're in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Several years ago, I ran across a list entitled, The Rules of Combat. I can't really remember where it originated, but it probably came from a seasoned soldier with a sense of humor. I think it's good for a chuckle or two. Here they are, 10 reasons, 10 rules for combat. Number one, if the enemy is in range, so are you. Number two, incoming fire always has the right of way. Number three, the easy way is always mind. Number four, try to look unimportant. The enemy may be firing at brass. Number five, teamwork is essential. It gives the enemy someone else to shoot at. Number six, don't draw fire. It irritates the people around you. I'll bet it does. Number seven, when the pin is pulled, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. Number eight, five-second fuses only last three seconds. That's a good bit of information to be aware of. Number nine, it is generally inadvisable to eject directly over the area you just bombed. You won't be welcome. And then number ten, the number ten in rules of combat, if it's stupid but works, it ain't stupid. All right? Number 10 is how Joshua must have felt after the battle of Jericho. Ingenious generals have used unorthodox combat strategies before and since. But trust me, no battle plan has ever been as bizarre as what the commander of the Lord's army communicated to Joshua in his conquest of Jericho. Here's how Joshua might have phrased number 10 in our list. If God provides the plan for victory, even if it seems stupid, it ain't stupid. Today we're going to look at a baffling battle plan that might just help you make sense of the struggles you face. Here's today's title, Facing Foes. Now if I ask you, who led Israel in the battle of Jericho? Most of you would reply, Joshua. In fact, we sing about it all the time. We sing that old spiritual, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. So we figure Joshua was the general, but we would figure wrong. For we read last week in chapter 5 of the mysterious soldier who trumped Joshua's rank. You remember Joshua bowed before this man and worshipped at his feet. The commander of the Lord's army took charge of Joshua's army. And after he appears at the end of chapter 5, immediately in chapter 6, verse 2, this is what we're told. The Lord said to Joshua, the Lord himself said, the Lord is now in command. We can assume that the Lord's commander was God himself. In fact, he utters the same to Joshua that he spoke to Moses on the desert mountain. Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. I believe the commander was the Son of God. A pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, Jesus is often sent on pre-incarnate missions. I'm convinced that Jesus fought the battle of Jericho. Reminds me of one Sunday, the new pastor, he, he went to the children's ministry of the church to see what the kids were being taught. And the teacher greeted the pastor and told him, he said, Pastor, this morning we're studying Joshua. Well, he turned to one of the children and he, and he asked him, he said, Son, can you tell me who tore down the walls of Jericho? 
The child looked up at him sheepishly and, and answered, Well, Pastor, I didn't do it. Well, he thought that maybe the kid didn't really hear what he said, and so he, you know, he tried to repeat. He said, let's try this again now. Who tore down the walls of Jericho? About that time, the teacher interrupted. Pastor, Johnny, Johnny's a good kid. He's from a good family, and, and if he says he didn't do it, I believe him. Well, the pastor was appalled. The teacher doesn't even know the story, and so he went to the director, and he told Anna about the situation. And, and she said, well... Pastor, I love Johnny, so let me talk to him. I I think if he did it, he'll tell me. Well, again, the pastor was appalled at this. He was so concerned about the situation that that, that he went to one of the elders. And that's when Sean replied, Pastor, let's not make waves and, and upset Johnny's parents. I mean, can't we just pay for the repairs out of the church fund? Hey, Hey, I hope you know... Who tore down the walls of Jericho? For the person who led the charge against Jericho fights the battles that all Christians face. Jesus is the commander. And we need to make sure that we're on his side. In chapter 5, Joshua settles his allegiance to God's commander and commands. And he makes a wise choice. For in chapter 6, the commander conquers Jericho in miracle fashion. And Joshua has a part to play. You see, people of influence like Joshua learn to face their foes. In the conflicts we face, God may not ask us to lift a finger, but He will always expect us to stand up to the challenge and face the situation. Well, let's jump into our story in Joshua chapter 6. Now, Joshua was securely shut up Because of the children, I'm sorry, Jericho was securely shut up. Joshua was not shut up. Jericho was shut up. Because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. Jericho was in lockdown. Homeland security had raised the threat level to red, severe. The Israeli army was camped just outside the walls. Gates remained closed now. Any opening had been sealed with stone. Experienced sharpshooters now lined the top of the walls. Jericho was in full battle mode. Now Jericho consisted of about eight and a half acres. It wasn't the largest of the Canaanite city-states, but it was the best fortified because these eight and a half acres were surrounded by enormous walls. There were actually two walls around Jericho, an inner wall and an outer wall. The inner wall was six foot thick and 11 feet high. The outer wall was even larger. It was 12 foot thick and 35 feet high. And the slope of the outer wall had a 35 degree incline that made it impossible to scale. I'm sure Joshua took one look at these walls and scratched his head. Also understand Jericho's importance. Jericho was was the most strategic of all of the Canaanite cities. It was the gateway leading to the heart of the land. You see, just beyond and above Jericho was the central ridge, the hill country that ran from north to south throughout Canaan. If Joshua could conquer Jericho, he could cut the land in half, basically drive a wedge between north and south. This would prohibit the various city-states of Canaan from uniting under one banner. Israel's plan was the classic 
tactic of divide and conquer. But it all began with Jericho. If Israel conquered Jericho, every other Canaanite city would feel threatened. Total victory would be in reach. If Jericho held, then the Israelis would be stopped dead in their tracks. So in verse 2, God's commander makes a stunning statement. He says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. How can this be? See what? You see, here's what Joshua sees when he looks at Jericho. He sees these unscalable walls and this impenetrable, unbreakable gate. And he sees skilled archers taking aim from their lookouts. And he sees smoke rising from pots of boiling oil that are intended to be poured on the heads of the invaders. Oh, Joshua sees a fortress that has defended itself countless times through its history. As the commander spoke, Joshua Jericho was actually pulling together supplies to stave off a long siege. How can God say he's given Jericho to Israel? He doesn't see. When God tells Joshua to see, understand he's not suggesting to deny the obvious. You know, it upsets me whenever I hear Christian faith called blind faith. Faith is anything but blind. God wants us to see our situation clearly. But faith not only sees the present circumstances, it looks beyond the logistics to the power of God and the word of God and the promise of God. You see, God is asking Joshua to believe a reality that has not yet become a reality. It's not been realized. He's asking Joshua to believe an outcome with no corroborating evidence so far. This is how the New Testament describes faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is two-layered vision. It never denies what is. But it sees beyond what is to what God promises can be and will be. You could say faith sees the foe, but then it sees much more. It sees what God has promised and what God can bring to pass. You see, people of influence have this kind of faith. And this is what toppled Jericho. Hebrews 11 verse 30 tells us later, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Joshua sees what no one else can see. He sees God's promise. Now God is calling on Joshua and Israel to face their enemy and believe that he has given them the city. And notice the word God uses. He tells Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. God's victory is always given. Often we take hold, or we're told to take hold or have faith. But here are the mechanics of faith. Before we take the victory, God first gives us the victory. It never happens in reverse. Victory is always a gift from God. Grace requires it to be this way. God's work and His favor and His blessing in our lives are all His gifts. They're given by God, never manufactured by us. In the New Testament, gifts of the Holy Spirit are called charismata or grace gifts. 
We don't earn or purchase God's gifts by our own efforts. That would only cheapen them. God gives to us freely. Our role in faith is to receive. Now, the victory was given by God to Joshua. Once we read the account of what will happen here, you'll realize there's no other explanation. I mean, God concocted this bizarre battle plan to prove his point. He's setting a precedent. Israel will go on to win many more battles in Canaan, but none quite this miraculous. Every battle they win, though, will be no less a gift from God. And so it is with every battle in our lives. You see, Christians win battles today, not because we're strong or wise or brave or bold or faithful, but because God in His grace gives us the victory and keeps His word. And here is the battle plan, verse 3. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. That would be about 650,000 foot soldiers. He says, you shall go all around the city once. One revolution would take around 30 minutes for each man. You know, our church owns eight and a half acres, about the size of Jericho. And so as long as it would take to sort of walk around the church property, that's how long it would take, would have taken to walk around Jericho. He says, you'll do this for six days. Each day for six days, Joshua and the men of Israel are to do a walk about Jericho. What in the world is going on? This is no way to fight a battle. I'm sure Joshua was wondering in his mind, where are the battering rams, God? And the catapults and the siege mounds and the scaling ladders. We're going to war here, not a walkathon. God, did you get this mistaken with the 5K charity run? What's the deal here? I'm going to say it several times before we're through today. But God's one real requirement for Joshua in this battle was to face his foes. You see, the part Joshua plays in the actual fighting is minimal. There really is no real battle when it gets right down to it. Joshua does very little to help God actually bring down the walls, but that doesn't stop God from wanting Joshua to play a pivotal part. Every day for six days, Joshua and Israel are supposed to come out of their tents and parade before Jericho and literally face their enemies. And that's not all. Verse 4. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. See, a ram's horn wasn't a trumpet in the, in the sense that we think of a trumpet. It didn't play melodies. It made just a few shrill notes. It blasted military signals more so than played music. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets and it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout then the wall of the city will fall down, boom, flat. These colossal walls will suddenly collapse. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. What a plan this is. For six days, the men of Israel are to circle the walls of Jericho. On the seventh day, they're to march seven times around the city. At the end of the seventh revolution, the priests are to blow the trumpets, the seven trumpets. And the people are to shout with a great shout. And the walls are going to crumble like cookies. 
And I think you'd all agree that these are not the combat tactics that are taught at West Point. Nor is this a plan you might overhear in a Pentagon strategy session. And I want you to understand, Joshua was a military man. He was a seasoned soldier. You know, some Bible scholars believe that he may have served in the Egyptian army before Israel's exodus. Joshua was not naive in these matters. He understood war in battle. Yet notice, he never questioned God's instructions. Amazingly, neither did his generals balk at God's plan. They also obeyed. Apparently, the miracle at the crossing of the Jordan must have convinced them that God's hand was on Joshua. Of course, as I think about this, I wonder if I would have been as compliant. You know, when one of the guys on staff wants to go out and buy some new equipment, I I tell them they need to shop around. You know, come back with a couple of quotes. Give me a second opinion. And I might have been tempted to throw that back at God and ask if he had an alternative. God, you got any options on this? I think it's even more surprising that Joshua's fellow leaders never questioned the plan. Not once do they ask Joshua, are you serious? I mean, is this a joke? Josh, are you feeling okay? Not even, are you sure this is what God said? You see, it wasn't just Joshua's faith that brought down the walls of Jericho that day. Evidently, on this occasion, all Israel acted together in a unified faith. Which makes me wonder what would happen here at Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain, if we all marched in step and faced our foes together with a single faith. And then verse 6, Joshua puts this plan in motion. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Now notice here, Commander Jesus tells Joshua to break several Old Testament or Levitical laws in this battle plan. This is strange. According to the law of Moses, neither the ark nor the priests were supposed to ever go into battle. At Jericho here, they lead the way. They also marched on the Sabbath. On the seventh day, they marched seven times. That certainly exceeded the limits that the Sabbath rules placed on travel. What's the deal with these discrepancies? Remember, Jesus is leading this charge. He is the commander of the Lord's army. And I believe God is making a point to future generations that victory over sin and suffering and strongholds like Jericho are never achieved through keeping the law, but always through faith in Jesus Christ. Israel followed Jesus into victory at Jericho. And following Jesus, not rules and rituals, is still the key to receiving God's victory in our lives. Now notice verse 7. And Joshua said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. They completed the march, then they blew the trumpets all the while God was forcing his people to face their foes. In verse 9, the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. 
Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So Joshua had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Now imagine the men of Jericho. They're on top of the walls, and what are they doing? No doubt they're mocking, and they're taunting, and they're ridiculing these crazy Hebrews. And for six days, the people remain silent. It's a silent march. Apparently, God wanted His people to taste this persecution. Remember, none of this marching and the embarrassment and the humiliation it brought was necessary for God to topple these walls. Israel could have stayed in their tents. They could have roasted s'mores on the campfire. Doesn't that look good? God didn't need Israel's help. But He wanted them to step out and take a stand. You see, throughout time and generations, God has always required His people to face their foes, go toe-to-toe before they win the victory. Verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, And the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. Every day they came out and they faced up. To these walls. Now verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early. About the dawning of the day. And marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. Notice this. Thirteen times in all now. Israel has marched around Jericho. Soon the walls are going to come tumbling down. And we wonder, was God testing Israel's faith? Of course He was. It would have been easier if the walls had fallen on the first or the second pass. But 13 times they marched around these walls. Hebrews 6 verse 12 tells us that it takes faith and patience to inherit God's promises. In the end, a persevering faith is what wins spiritual victories. Hey, God had faced up to their enemies had them face up to their enemies, not just once, but 13 times. 13 trips around the city forced the Hebrews to inspect Jericho's walls for any breaches, any openings, any cracks, any form of vulnerability. And they found no weaknesses. With each pass, the people became more and more convinced that if they were going to be victorious, it would take a miracle. There was no way that they could conquer this city on their own. There are times in a Christian's life when God has to bring us to that same conclusion before He's ready to deliver us from our enemies, that it's going to take a miracle. Well, Notice in verse 16, they complete the final lap. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. 
Notice Joshua's battle cry is identical to God's initial promise in verse 2. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Again, the Lord has given them the city. Victory is God's gift. Perhaps this is why you've yet to receive the victory in your life. You see, you've been doing it all yourself. Through your own effort, in your own might, in your own willpower. You've been trying to take hold to what God has promised rather than receive. You've been striving and straining and struggling to earn God's victory. But you're working against the mechanics of faith. Remember, victory is always given. Before it's taken by you, it's given by God. To receive victory from God, you humble yourself. And you understand how desperate your situation happens to be. That a miracle is required. Hey, imagine if Joshua's inexperienced and ill-equipped army stormed the walls with drawn swords. The far fewer men of Jericho could have picked them off one by one from the perch overhead. Despite their zeal, it would have been disaster for Israel. It would have been a bloodbath if they had taken matters into their own hands. But this is what occurs in our lives when we try to use our wisdom or our creativity or our genius or our willpower to fight the spiritual battles facing us. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for what? For pulling down strongholds or bringing down walls. Hey, before we came to Jesus, the world, the flesh, and the devil, our three-headed foe developed some spiritual strongholds in our lives. Addiction and fear and obsessions and anger and bitterness and jealousy. Some of you today have fallen victim to emotional dysfunctions. Like the inability to love or trust or care or bond or give or think properly you know, about certain things in your life. And you've done all you know to do. You've tried every angle. But the one step you've not tried is the simplest. You have yet to receive. This morning, you need to see God's victory in your life as a gift from Him. Here's the invitation today. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Overcoming an addiction or breaking through a fear or loving someone unlovable or reaching a person you thought was unreachable or scaling some insurmountable barrier or saving a marriage that that seemed irreconcilable or finding favor in an official, or landing a good job in a tough economy. Whatever the victory you need, remember, it's given by God. Before it's taken by you, it's given by God. And let me warn you, you can rise up in faith today, and you can receive God's victory, but there will be a person tomorrow who will tell you this can't be true. It just can't be this simple. You know, they'll come to you, you'll tell them about what you learned today, you'll express your faith, but then they'll, they'll throw a wet blanket over things. They'll make some kind of comment like, oh, you're telling me all you got to do is just circle the walls and they'll fall down like dominoes? You got to be kidding. Those church folks are naive. 
They've just been drinking the Kool-Aid. Don't they know how deeply ingrained that addiction is in your life? Or how much damage your marriage has suffered? Or the depth of hurt that you carry? Hey, just remember this person tomorrow who wants to fill your mind with doubt is the person who thinks he's smarter than God. Just remember that. The reason Jericho's wall will fall is because Israel took God at his word. You can't be smarter than God. God knows what he's doing. God means what he says. Don't you discount the power of God, nor be be swayed by other people who do. If God tells you the victory has been given to you, well, then indeed it's true. You know, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel also applies to us. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Israel at Jericho could have listened to the scoffers on the wall. But instead, they trusted in the power of God's word. And victory is as much a gift to us today as it was for Israel at Jericho. Now notice verse 17. By this point, victory is assured, but Joshua plans for its aftermath. He says, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Remember Rahab's stories in chapter 2. A scarlet rope hung in her window. It was a sign that the of the promise that the spies made to save Rahab and everyone abiding in her house once Jericho fell. Now Joshua is giving orders that their word, their promise is kept. And then he says, And you by all means abstain from the accursed things. Don't take the idols and the good luck charms and all the occult paraphernalia that existed among the Canaanite city of Jericho. You know, the archaeologists have found in the ruins of Jericho all these kinds of occult paraphernalia. Apparently, the people of Jericho were evil to the core. The Hebrews should stay away from the accursed things, lest you become accursed, he says, when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. This foreshadows the trouble that Israel is going to encounter in chapter 7 with the sin of Achan. He says, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Metals that could be melted down were dedicated to God and contributed to the tabernacle. It was the first tithe in the new land. And now in verse 20, the miracle finally arrives. We're told, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Finally, they take what God had first given. In 1955, a black woman named Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus to a white man. Rosa was arrested for violating segregation laws. Many historians now feel her act of defiance set off the modern civil rights movement. In an interview recently, Rosa Parks reflected on that day. She said, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. But that isn't true. I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. 
I was 42. No, the only tired I was, was tired of giving in. And this is why Israel circled Jericho before the walls came a-tumbling down. God wanted His people to get tired of giving in. Are you tired of giving in? For 40 years, these Hebrews had given in to fear and unbelief and missed opportunities. And now before God does a miracle for these people, He wants to do a miracle in them. God wants them to get sick and tired of giving in. And so they march 13 times around these walls while their enemies ridicule them and curse them and spit at them and try to intimidate them. God knew in the power department He didn't need the Hebrews to lift a finger. But they needed to face their foes and develop some faith. And some of you this morning need to face some enemies in your life. God doesn't expect us to conquer our enemies. Only He can grant the victory we seek. But He does expect us to face up to our foes. Whether that means admitting a sin or an addiction or a weakness in our lives, or whether that means going and asking for someone's forgiveness, or confronting someone about an issue we'd have avoided, or dealing with a hurt that we've neglected, or addressing a problem that we've ignored, or maybe standing up to an injustice that we know to be wrong. Here's the point. People of influence go toe-to-toe, and they face their foes. Joshua didn't approach Jericho with battering rams and catapults. God fought for him. But that wasn't an excuse for Joshua to hide and to fear. For victory to be won, God called on Joshua to face his enemies. And God's calling on you this morning to do the same. Thirteen times Israel marched around the walls before they crumbled. And on every revolution around the walls, the priests blew the trumpets. And here's what might happen to you. If you don't face your enemies soon, there's no telling how long you'll put off the victory you could receive. No wonder you've been going around in circles. God can work a miracle, but first you've got to face that stronghold in your life. And if you don't face your foes soon... Just as the priests kept blowing their horns, there's no telling how much money you'll blow. Or time, or energy, or emotional capital, or opportunity for relationship that you might blow trying to dodge or run from your enemy. No wonder you've got a pucker face. You keep blowing it, man. Rather than receive the miracle that God has given you. You know, it's been said, courage is being the only one who knows you're afraid. We don't know if Joshua or the men of Israel were afraid. But if they were, it didn't show. They stepped out seven days and they faced their obstacle. And this is what God is calling you to do. God has promised a miracle. Jesus has given you the victory. But along with faith... You've got to face whatever it is that lurks behind the walls and strongholds in your life. May God give us the courage this morning to be obedient to His Word.
Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. Lord, we pray that, Lord, that we could rise up today and face whatever it is that, that's opposing us. Whatever it is that is an enemy to our soul. That's lurking within the walls and obstacles that we face. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the victory. And today we want to receive that victory and walk in that victory. But Lord, I pray that you'll help, you'll first help us to be courageous and to be bold and to be brave and face up to that which is, is a problem, is a dilemma. Lord, give us strength, give us courage today. Work in our hearts, Lord. We love you so much and we're so thankful today that you love us. Lord, we ask that you, you bless us now as we come and as we take communion, as we remember the body and blood of our Lord Jesus who has paved the way, who's, who's brought down the walls and worked the miracles. He is our commander. And once again, we, we honor him today. We love you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.